Hello, this is John Radowitz, the publisher of the Capo Press, giving you a sneak preview of four of our top titles we'll be publishing in spring 2009. The Capo Press, as you may know, has been around for four decades. The last decade is a member of the Perseus Books Group, one of the leading independent publishers in the U.S. Our profile has traditionally been history in the performing arts, but of late we've come to be known for a wide and eclectic range of popularly oriented nonfiction books, including sports, health, pregnancy, parenting, and healthy cooking. Some of our best-known authors are Buzz Bissinger, Christopher Hitchens, T. Barry Brazelton, Mary Oliver, and Jenny McCarthy. If that doesn't define eclectic, I don't know what does. And we couldn't have done it all these years without you librarians, so first of all, thanks for buying, for recommending, and in general for supporting our books. From our head office in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and our satellite offices in New York City, Philadelphia, and Berkeley, California, we publish what we think of as intelligent entertainment and informational books for the way people really live. We hope that you and your patrons will agree and that you'll find something, maybe a lot of things, that will grab your attention in the four books I'm about to describe. Lance Armstrong, A Candid Portrait of the World's Greatest Champion by John Wilcoxon. Lance Armstrong needs no introduction. Or does he? This is the first ever definitive biography of the seven-time Tour de France champion and founder of the Live Strong Fight Against Cancer campaign. It's by no means an authorized bio, but Armstrong has given the author unprecedented access to his inner circle and has sat down for several in-depth interviews. Everyone knows Armstrong's heroic story of surviving what looked like terminal cancer and going on to win the Tour de France multiple times. He's an inspiration to millions. But few people know how this brash young man from Plano, Texas, worked his way to the top of a very un-American sport, how he brushed aside prejudices, ignored traditions, and revolutionized training in his quest for sporting perfection. Ultimately, by winning an unprecedented seven Tour de France races in seven years, Armstrong laid claim to the title of world's greatest champion. Armstrong has been both admired and derided. He intimidated rivals and earned the respect of his teammates. He also drew the media's skepticism. Legal teams in France investigated Armstrong and his teammates for alleged drug use. But Armstrong managed to fend off the accusations as handily as he did his racing rivals and won all the subsequent legal cases. And it's all here in this book. There have been other books about Lance Armstrong and even books by Lance Armstrong but this is the most complete account ever written of Armstrong's life. In an age of quickie books, this book is anything but. The author, John Wilcoxon, whom USA Today has called the best cycling writer in the U.S., has known Armstrong for over two decades and has interviewed all of the important people in Armstrong's life. That includes Armstrong's very influential mother and ex-wife, his teammates, and the stepfather who raised Armstrong from the age of two but whom Armstrong cut out of his life when he was 17. In fact, the author believes the book will tell Armstrong things about himself that Armstrong himself doesn't know. You can expect a lot of queries about cycling as July 2009 approaches. July is when Armstrong is expected to go after his eighth Tour de France championship, and it's bound to be much talked of in the media. Armstrong is hoping to become the oldest cyclist to ever win the Tour de France at a venerable 37 years of age. 
The tour kicks off in Monaco on that most American of holidays, July 4th. Lance Armstrong is an amazing American life, and it's here as never before in Lance Armstrong, a candid portrait of the world's greatest champion by John Wilcoxon. Bond of Union, Building the Erie Canal in the American Empire by Gerard Capel. As a new administration in Washington settles in, a lot of Americans are casting a look back at some of the crucial junctures in American history. Much interest has been focused on Lincoln the Man and on FDR and his plan for a new deal. But, to paraphrase an old saying, we'd invite you to take a look not at a man, not at a plan, but at a canal. In this case, the Erie Canal. Bond of Union is a landmark new history of the Erie Canal and its pivotal role in American history. Some books take longer to write than other books, but meticulous research and careful writing take time. The result, however, is worth the wait, as Bond of Union demonstrates. Gerard Capel's eight years of research in primary sources have led to fascinating new information on the technological accomplishment of building the canal, as well as on the human drama of visionary dreamers and financial schemers. In short, a major new history that stands comparison with the best of David McCullough's best-selling popular histories, especially his path between the seas. Conceived in the early 1800s and completed in 1825, the Erie Canal was the boldest and biggest American engineering project of its century, with enduring political, social, and economic effect. The Erie Canal brought vast riches and a far-reaching vision to a rapidly expanding America and it opened up the West to the American imagination. Bond of Union magisterially spans some 10,000 years, from the emergence of modern New York's physical landscape after the final retreat of Ice Age glaciers, to the depiction of the Erie Canal on the 2001 New York State Quarter. There have been other histories of the canal, but Capel's is the first and only definitive one. It's filled with memorable and obsessive characters, provides a unique perspective on manifest destiny, and tells the very timely tale of a nation prodded into a new self-awareness of its place in the world. Capel's previous book was called Water for Gotham, about the drinking water system for New York City. Caleb Carr, in the New York Times Book Review, called that book, quote, extraordinarily well-researched and remarkably readable. And Library Journal called it, quote, a fascinating play-by-play tale based on personal narrative, anecdotes, primary sources, and nearly forgotten archives. Capel's new book, Bond of Union, is my pick for a surprise hit on our list among a readership hungry for solid, compelling narrative history. For change of pace, I'd now like to talk about a couple of books from DeCapo's lifelong imprint, which focuses on health and well-being very broadly defined. One of the books is about love, and the other is about cooking. And some would say, of course, that those are two sides of the same coin. How to Love is the simple and direct title of the new book by Dr. Gordon Livingston, who many of you may know from his earlier DeCapo book, Too Soon Old, Too Late Smart. That book has been translated into some 20 languages and has sold more than a half million copies worldwide. In a world where books come and go, some too quickly and others perhaps not quickly enough, there are a few books that keep attracting readers because of the depth and universality of their insight. In this respect, I think Gordon Livingston's How to Love 
will stand solidly alongside Eric Fromm's The Art of Loving and Rollo May's Love and Will, both published decades ago. Or, for a slightly more recent example, think of M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. Peck and Livingston may differ in their frameworks. Peck wrote from a Christian perspective, for example, but both bring the insights that derive from being longtime psychiatrists and very human human beings. As the editor of How to Love, I can personally attest to the fact that each reading of successive drafts of the manuscript brings new pleasures, provokes new thoughts, and engenders new respect for an author who has been called, quote, a physician of the human heart. How to Love is a book somewhere between philosophy and self-help. Philosophy sounds too stuffy nowadays, perhaps, but self-help simply doesn't do justice to the quality of insight and the quality of the writing to be found here. As Publishers Weekly said in a starred review of an earlier book by Gordon Livingston, quote, this slender volume is full of wisdom and written with a generous spirit that will appeal even to those who don't usually read self-help books. How to Love offers a brief but urgently needed meditation on who to love and who best not to love. Dr. Livingston focuses on helping us to recognize important character traits in ourselves and in others and what those traits imply about compatibility and future conduct. And all of this is leavened with Dr. Livingston's trademark anecdotes and wit. Let me quote just a few of the chapter titles. Don't blame the mirror for your reflection. Any landing you can walk away from is a good landing. Always borrow money from a pessimist. You won't expect to be paid back. And my favorite, if it weren't for marriage, men and women would have to fight with total strangers. But don't take my word for it. Take a look at what others have said about Dr. Livingston's previous books. For example, Roxanne Roberts, who says that, quote, Gordon Livingston is more Job than Dr. Phil, painfully aware of life's losses and limitations, trying to spare you a little hurt. He thinks in paragraphs, not in sound bites. Or Mark Halpert, who says that, quote, to read him is to trust him and to learn, for his life has been touched by fire and his motives are absolutely pure. Or Rabbi Harold Kushner, who said, quote, so much wisdom, so many quotable aphorisms in such a compact book. Read it. Or Mehmet Oz, the co-author of You, the Owner's Manual, who said simply, quote, secrets for joyful living spill forth. Some books stick with you. How to Love by Dr. Gordon Livingston is one of them. And now, for something that sticks to your ribs, here's Vegan Brunch by Isa Chandra Moskowitz. The book is tempting right from the subtitle. Homestyle recipes worth waking up for, from asparagus omelets to strawberry pancakes. I'm sure that some of you listening are vegans, and many of you have fielded vegan inquiries at your libraries. If so, it's not surprising. Avoiding animal products and what we eat is a growing trend, and has spawned a fair number of cookbooks recently. I'm happy to say that DeCapo has been in the forefront of that trend, publishing, among others, the acknowledged queen of all things vegan, Isa Moskowitz, the author of Vegan Brunch. Isa Moskowitz is most recently the best-selling author of Veganomicon, which you can think of as the joy of cooking for vegans. Now she's back with the ultimate guide to vegan breakfast and brunch food, featuring beautiful color photos throughout and 75 You Won't Believe It's Vegan recipes for classic and new favorites. Her previous books have been reviewed triumphantly in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, on NPR, 
and in many other places. Think about it. If you're a vegan, brunch may be the toughest meal of the day, since most typical brunch dishes involve dairy or meat products. Bacon and ham are out, of course, but so are eggs and anything made with milk or butter. That's where the book Vegan Brunch comes in. There are tasty brunch alternatives, alternatives you might want to try even if you're not a vegan. Thank goodness, by the way, coffee and Bloody Marys are both vegan. Brunch is trendy, and now it's deliciously vegan, too. How delicious? Try these on for size. Brazilian French toast. Poblano chilies stuffed with mushrooms. Biscuits with smoked almond gravy. Rosemary tomato scones. Blueberry ginger muffins. Pan au chocolat with fresh fruit. Well, after that rundown, you may find yourself getting just a little hungry. Good. And I hope I've whetted your appetite not only for vegan brunch, but also for Lance Armstrong, Bond of Union, and How to Love, four deliciously different books from DeCapo Press, publishing in spring 2009. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support of DeCapo Press. And good luck in your very important work.